Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Hello, Coach Taku listeners. What should we start calling you guys? Do you have a preference? Should we have a fan name? Either way, I am your host, Christina Stathopoulos, and I am here with the lovely and brilliant Mary. And we are here to talk about the revamp of a classic. That's right. This is the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood episode. And so for those of you who may not have known that there's a difference, uh, it's not just a word added. Basically, the original anime adaptation, Fullmetal Alchemist, was brilliant, but it was created before the manga was finished, and so it kind of took its own, <laughs> own creative licenses and creative turns in how to end, whereas several years later, Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood was produced to more uh, accurately follow the story of the manga. And so with, because with our Sailor Moon episode, we decided to cover the OG, we figured we'd mix it up this week and cover the revamp of FMA. And so if you're listening and you're like, what the heck is this? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, Shame on you that you don't know what I'm talking about. FMA Brotherhood and the OG are classics. But seriously speaking, if somehow you're tuning in and you've never heard of the series, it follows the brothers Edward and Alphonse Elric. Uh, They're young boys who are also alchemists. This is a world of alchemy. And basically they do something that they really shouldn't have. They break a certain rule of the laws of alchemy, and as a result, uh, Edward loses his arm and his leg, and his brother loses his entire body, and he exists as a soul in an enchanted set of armor. And they go out into the world as state alchemists to find a way to get their bodies back to normal. So I think that wraps up the the spark notes gist of what the series is about. Mary, do you want to clue us into how we're connecting this to coaching this week? So thanks, Christina. And the conversation that we're having around coaching this week is around integrity and what integrity with ourselves looks like. And I use the word integrity again from a coaching perspective and basically what it means. And Christina can chime in too. So integrity, how are we being? What are those things that are actually affecting our being and us being our highest selves day to day? So when we think about it, what's in the a way that I like to think about is like, what's in our space? Because if we're worried, if we're carrying all these worries, stressors, things that haven't been done or things that we need to get to, those are actually items that are out of integrity, quote unquote, because they're really um, kind of impeding our ability to be our best selves. So when we think about integrity, it's like, well, what, how do we give ourselves access to be in our highest selves day to day and to be present day to day. Christina, anything to add? I think sometimes it just helps to ground integrity as an example. And so I always think of it, I think Gandhi says that it's about having what you say and what you do line up. So in other words, it's the great example of like New Year's resolutions, how you say that this is the year that you're going to get super fit and lose all this weight. But what you do 
is go to the gym for seven days and then never go again. And so that's a funny example, but the thing to underscore is it's really just noticing how, uh, to Mary's point, whether you are achieving what you say you desire or whether you're falling back on some automatic patterns or, or desires or more comfortable ways to go about life. And yeah, integrity is the concept that we used to talk about this phenomenon, so to speak. Yeah. So when we look at um, Full Metal Brotherhood, it's interesting because I, there's so much symbolism in this anime, first of all. I mean, if, you, if nothing else that you take away from this series, there's just this really obvious symbolism between like what they call each, even the what they're called, what the characters relate to as the fewer, for example. And when we talk about this conversation through the lens of integrity, um, Christina mentioned that the brothers kind of suffered this tremendous accident as a result of being, quote unquote, out of integrity. They do something they're not supposed to. They play and they, their mother dies. And so they want to bring their mother back to life. And in doing so, there's a law of exchange that Christina will actually define a little little bit. And when they do that without realizing that there's a really high price to pay, they actually end up losing a part of themselves, part of their physical selves in this journey. And that's what actually starts the whole series is them trying to find out, well, how do we get ourselves back in whole? How do we go back into being back in integrity with ourselves, with our physical selves. Yeah. And so bouncing off of what you just said, Mary, the first law of alchemy is the law of equivalent exchange. And it, it is literally defined as to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. So what the brothers end up doing is they take that quite literally. Like if they want to make a pound of gold, you have to lose a pound of iron. If you want to make a pound of wood, you have to lose a pound of dirt. What they don't consider is how human life is not a simple math equation. And so I think what's amazing about the show and using it to talk about integrity is right away the, the, the plot of it, the, the main conflict that the protagonists are trying to resolve happens as an act of being out of integrity. It happens because they are willing to relate to human life. That's something as simple as, you know, uh, dirt to gold, so to speak. And they, they don't consider the ramifications of breaking one of the only rules that alchemy has, which is don't perform it on humans and don't do it to try to bring the dead back to life. So like I said, the laws of alchemy, they do a really great job of actually dictating how alchemists are to remain in integrity. So Mary, what are some of the characters along the way that, that play with this a bit, that really seem to distort the rules and as a result, distort their integrity? Yeah, so we see, of course, our main characters at an owl, but then later they learn that also their teacher, their alchemy teacher, also tried doing what's called a human transmutation. So it's trying to bring someone back from the dead and look like from from a matter of heart we get it you know they lost someone that was dear and important to them and they're just trying to save them and bring them back so their teacher actually performs a human transmutation after she lost her baby and it becomes really 
it, it, you see that in that process, she actually loses some internal organs because what neither of what none of them had realized up to this point is that you can't bring something back that's gone, you know, and the dead are gone. They're not here on this plane anymore. So you can't actually use alchemy with that. And then one of the other, I think, more heartbreaking examples, Christina, is Sho Tucker and the way that he actually uses his own daughter and the dog to perform a human transmutation. And it's like, talk about taboo. Talk about something that's just not to be done. When I saw that, I, I was, it's almost like watching a serial killer, you know, because you see something that really should not be, like you can't play with a human life. And he not only played with the dog's life, he also played with his daughter's life. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, first of all, the number of memes over the years that have uh, come out of Shoe Tucker to almost try to make it funny. Like, I feel like the only way you could really be with what he does is to make it funny and make it a meme. Uh, but quite frankly, it's probably one of the most heartbreaking and fucked up things I've ever seen in anime. It was certainly the case when I saw it the first time around at like 15 <laughs> years old. And it, it really speaks to this integrity conversation because there's this fascinating moment when Edward confronts Sho after the fact, and he's like, you're a monster. And Sho goes, well, what are you talking about? Like, I know, I know why your brother looks like that. I know why you look like that. If I'm a monster, then what are you? And it's one of the pivotal points in the series, at least for me, where you really have the brothers discussing their understanding of how what they did was morally incorrect how it actually put them out of integrity with being a moral human that understands the, the boundaries of what is or isn't possible. Because I think Edward in particular, before he you know, commits the sin of human transmutation, he's pretty cocky. He's like, I'm brilliant. I'm a genius. As long as I got my knowledge, I have everything I need to know. And it's wild. Yes, of course, he is super smart. It actually puts him out of integrity with being a decent human being. And it puts him out of integrity with considering why the world works that way, the way that it does. And so while it may seem dramatic, how the show depicts getting back in integrity, it's a really important journey for the brothers because falling out of integrity is what gives them the awareness of what it would mean to be back in it and both the adventures they need to go on, but also the people they need to serve and the lessons that they need to learn to get there. Yeah, and you can see the weight that they carry as a result. Um, because this, when something is out of integrity for ourselves, like just in our own lives, you carry a weight with it. It like kind of slows you down. It's always in your space. And so we have options as to whether we ignore it or we work with it, or we, there's so many different things that we can do with these things. But, and you can see what's beautiful about this series is that you can see how both Ed and Al proactively are working to go back into integrity and the journey that it takes them to actually be able to do this. And for ourselves, it's the same. When we're out of integrity with something, it weighs us down until we actually look at it and start working with it. So, and there are other characters in the series that have their own version of integrity and what that means and what that looks like. And Christina, I'm so interested because I know that one of your favorites is Roy. 
Roy Mustang. And I'd love to hear about what you see in integrity with him. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll talk about a character who's got like integrityception going on. <laughs> I think looking at Roy Mustang as a character is a great opportunity to also talk about how integrity doesn't always line up. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you might be someone who works for a company and you may be upset with the company right now because you are noticing that their values and what they prioritize don't actually align with your values and what you prioritize. And so even though the company may be in integrity with its mission, you are actually out of integrity with yourself by being at that company. And I use that as an example because this unveils the story of Roy Mustang, who ultimately is a part of a government that sucks, <laughs> just putting it simply, without getting into all the nuances of the politics of FMA. He works inside of an organization that is terrible and doesn't actually serve people. But he uses his prowess and his connections to quietly raise through the ranks because he has his own vision of what would be an integrity for him, which is to become as powerful as possible to then change and transform the mission. And so Roy Mustang's an interesting one because at times you may refer to him as cold or even heartless, manipulative, but what you really come to realize is he's just super clear on what it will take to get the country back and into integrity. And he aligns himself with that mission and fortunately aligns himself with people that want to see that come to fruition, predominantly Hawkeye and also Hughes. Um, but I won't go there because then I'm going to cry. Uh, but, but yeah, like for me, he's such an interesting character in this integrity conversation because you really see what happens when what's personally an integrity for you doesn't align with the organization that you're a part of and how you rectify that. Yeah, totally. And. Christina, can we talk about one other character? Can we talk about father and integrity? Because father is the creator of the, oh my God, I'm not going to mispronounce this, but the homunculi. Did I get it right? No. Well, them. And there are seven of them. And they all, uh, they're all named after a deadly sin. And I think what the interesting conversation here is that there, it's, it's an attempt by father to get rid of that specific emotion. And I feel it's like an attempt to be, quote unquote, in perfect integrity with himself is by getting rid of, of, of these uh, different aspects of himself. But it goes terribly, terribly wrong. And Christina, what are your thoughts on this? Because I know that you, have, you enjoy some of these specific characters. All right, folks, are you ready? It's time for another Christina freaks out over metaphor and storytelling in an anime series. Should I come up with a name for this segment? Because I feel like it's now happened enough that I should. Uh, if you have theme music in mind, let me know. But in the meantime, to Mary's point, father attempts to rid himself of human desires to be a more perfect being. And so perfectly, the homunculi are named after the seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, wrath, you can look up the rest. I'm not going to go through them all. But the, what I love about this is that even though Father removes these aspects from himself, the homunculi still become the characters that look to thwart the protagonists. And they literally represent 
sins and desires that would have any person fall out of integrity. You know, having a commitment to serving others, but then being greedy, having a commitment to being pious, but then being lustful, having a commitment to being generous, but then being gluttonous. Like it, it, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's incredible storytelling to have the villains essentially of the series represent the things that move people away from their path and the higher things that they desire. Uh, Mary, anything else you want to say about the homunculi before I continue to geek out over here? Oh, please, by all means, we can geek out. But I also want to point out how it has an impact on father the the character of father himself or itself um, in that it kind of almost um, has the opposite effect that he wanted. You can think there was an attempt by father to become the perfect being without realizing that it's actually all a part of, it all works together. Like it's not like you can separate parts of yourself and then let them loose. It's actually, integrity is actually being okay with all of it and in balance with all of it, not necessarily just getting rid of one or the other. <sighs> so good. So I think for me, the last character I'd want to talk about, because father is a great example of when you almost try to take integrity too far or when you try to falsely manufacture it. And I think the other character in the series who I would almost relate to as tragic because of his own morally gray compass of how to be an integrity would be Scar. Because the thing about Scar is due to the trauma that he faced in the war, he essentially makes it his mission to kill alchemists. Because in his mind, state alchemists are out of integrity because they use something that should be a gift to serve people to instead kill them. And what's tricky about the character of Scar is that's not totally uh, unfair logic. Like, hey, you're using essentially magic that's for people for your own selfish reasons. That's super out of integrity. Way to go, Scar. That's a good point. So I'm going to murder them all. Okay, Scar, veering away from the, from the good point here a little bit. And I, I I like to mention him because I think he's a great example, uh, like Father is, of characters that perhaps take integrity too far. Because the thing I want to underscore is there's no such thing as ever being 100% in integrity. We're human beings. We have, you know, sins and desires. We, we fall off the beaten path. And when we try to take it to extremes, that's when we punish ourselves or punish others. When really the journey that I think Edward and Al represent so clearly is how do you be flawed, but attempt to remain on an integrity-based path, regardless of what else shows up. Yeah. And I think it's also part of what it looks like for you, right? because there's the, especially when we look at Maury Mustang or even um, at an Al's father, there's kind of like this expectation of what they should look like, what integrity should look like for each of them. But I think in the journey, in this whole, um, for each individual, for each character, they discover what integrity looks like for themselves and what they can and can't be with. And I think that's part of our own journey is to figure out, well, what does integrity look like for ourselves outside of the expectations, outside of what we think we should 
be doing or it should look like? Yeah, so lightning round question, Mary. Lots of characters, lots of tragic backstories, lots of uh, morally gray integrity conversations. Which character would you tackle in coaching and why? You know, Christina, I think I'd go with greed. (laughs) Because greed, uh, I, I personally loved watching greed's journey because you and yeah, he's one of the deadly sins and all that. But at the end, you actually see the sacrifice that greed makes for someone else, which is so out of character for him in so many ways. And you think, I started to think in that moment, if greed can be reached, so can the others. And what does that look like? And what's that conversation? How would that transform father? Because the question for for father that I had towards the end is like, what could have gone differently for him that would have ended the story in a different way, that would have had this journey go in a different direction? And I think that's the interesting coaching conversation for me. But what about you, Christina? What do you see? Ooh, so I would actually pick Armstrong. And I want to be clear, uh, Olivier Armstrong, like the general, the woman. And the, the reason I would pick her is she's such a fascinating character to me. She basically doesn't believe in the law of equivalent exchange because instead she believes in the survival of the fittest. So her whole deal is like, no, what do you mean an eye for an eye, you know, equal for equal? Like people aren't made equal. The strong live and the weak die. And that is such a sad and hard way to view life. And I get that in some ways it's what has made her a powerful general. But when I compare her to her other, her younger brother, you know, the other Armstrong that we come to know and love, he's, he's filled with so much like reverence for people and gusto that it's crazy to be introduced to her as the ice queen that she is. So I'd love to tackle Olivier Armstrong just to figure out like who hurt you, (laughs) but more so to, uh, to see how to take this survival of the fittest mentality and create it in a way where it's still in integrity with her values, but it's in service of people rather than belittling or calling other people out. So much fun. I mean, so much fun overall. I can only imagine what these sessions would look like. Um, any last thoughts or comments on this one, Christina? I think it's, it's, it, there's a lot in this series, and I think we just touched upon a very small portion of it. Yeah, I mean, FMA is a doozy regardless of whether you cover the original or Brotherhood. Uh, I would say that if you've been coveting the original for a really long time, please go watch Brotherhood. It's kind of amazing. It also has a really great soundtrack. And yeah, other than that, if you feel like we didn't cover all of your favorite alchemists, feel free to leave us a comment. We're happy to revisit the episode. If there are other OG series, like we've been toying around with maybe doing a Cowboy Bebop episode for a while or something of that nature, if you want to see more OG series, uh, shoot us an email and recommend some of them to us. We're looking for some good binges as the weather gets colder and we need to keep warm by snuggling with our Crunchyroll accounts. Um, But yeah, that's all I got for this week. Mary, you want to send us off? Yeah. So thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a comment, follow us on Coach Taku Pod, and email us if you'd like to say hello. Um, thank you for joining us. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for watching Coach Taku. If you liked this episode, please share it and consider subscribing so you never miss a new episode. 
Have an idea for an episode or a show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Taku Pod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host. In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at herextinaroar on Instagram. And you can follow Mary at raven5130 on Instagram. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.